So there's 323,000 city employees, and on average, per year right now with benefits, their cost, they cost? $140,000. $140,000, wow. And welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I am Maria Doulis from the CBC. And uh, at, at Gotham Gazette, what we do is cover city and state politics uh, with a focus on government accountability and ethics and transparency and certainly budgets. The CBC, for those who don't know, is a budget watchdog and a think tank focused on fiscal responsibility and cost-effective governance in New York City and New York State. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at CBCNY, and I'm at Maria Doulis. And on Twitter, I'm at TweetBenMax, and we're at Gotham Gazette. Uh, so on this podcast, we're going to be bringing you a lot of data points, but also connecting to how they affect people's lives and uh, things like mass transit in the city and budget money for school food and all sorts of things that affect millions and millions of New Yorkers as well as visitors to New York. Um, and we're going to be digging into budget numbers, but also lots of policy. Uh, so uh, for what's the data points debut here, uh, our data point is $85.2 billion. And uh, what does that data point uh, signify, Maria? That is the size of the adopted budget for New York City for fiscal year 18. So there was a budget handshake between uh, the mayor and the council speaker last Friday, about 8 p.m., um, and the council voted on the budget this week. Um, and right now, we don't have the budget documents to look at all the details, but we know that that is the size of the budget. How could the city council vote? through the new budget without the budget documents being public? Yeah, the, the budget process is really driven by the executive. And so the council um, really, um, the executive budget is the focal point for making changes to the budget. So they've got the outlines there, they've got the budget bills, they vote on the budget bills and add appropriations language to that, um, and they vote on, on that language. So sort of all the, the P's and Q's will be released later, but I'm sure they have the outline. So when they got together Friday night at City Hall, they get very excited when they've sort of reached what they feel like were the contentious items between the executive budget proposal from the mayor and the negotiations that follow, and they say, we've got a deal as soon as we've got it, we need to tell the world about it? Right, well, there have been different approaches in the past, um, and I think the there was a sense here that a budget deal would come early, one, because it's been sort of an easy budget cycle in the sense that there haven't been many big contentious items. The economy for the city continues to grow, so there's some revenue to support new spending initiatives. Um, and the council and the mayor kind of philosophically aligned. Um, so th there wasn't really much to fight about, and it made it facilitated an easier deal. Plus, I think there's the practical reality that we are in an election year, and there's... Mm people want to hurry home to tend to those. Right, and, and ballot petitioning was starting this week. Some people were pointing out that they wanted to sort of get this out of the way before people were, were minding some of their re-election bids for the city council and elsewhere. So $85.2 billion, it's a significant increase over the last few years. The mayor and the city council have been very aligned overall. Um, but of the $85.2 billion, what are sort of the biggest buckets? What you know? What do what do people who 
aren't always digging into these documents like you and I? What, what do people sort of need to know before we dig in a little deeper? What are the sort of broad strokes? Right. So the budget pie, if you will, is really driven by the city's employees. So city government responsibility is to provide services, and they, you need people to provide those services. So more than 55% of the budget is the cost of paying the city's workforce. Cops, teachers, corrections officers, firefighters, um, and everybody at the at the city agencies. And that's what, 300,000 and change? It's about 320,000 people mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so that is the biggest part, and of course that's not just salaries, that's also the cost of health insurance, it's the cost of pension benefits, it's other fringe benefits as well. New York City also has a really big capital budget and has been spending a lot on infrastructure in the last, say, 15 years. Um, but that's so a totally different pot of money, right? Different pot of yeah. money, but we pay for it with debt. Uh-huh. So a, a sizable chunk of the budget is also debt service, and that's pretty fixed. So it's not something that a mayor can easily tinker with in a given year. But The debt service is part of the expense budget that we're talking about, the right. operating budget. So you issue a bond to pay for a long-term capital project, and you pay a portion of the principal and the interest back every year, the way uh, a New Yorker would pay his or her mortgage, right? But across many, many capital projects and many bonds, and the sum of that is what's in the budget. And that's a fixed slice of the pie and pretty big. Then you also have a big chunk devoted to contracts for social services, for things like you know energy um, at city agencies. Uh, and finally, there's a big chunk that's also for Medicaid and public assistance. So that's, of the 85 billion, I mean, those buckets right there are three quarters, maybe? Right, about yeah. three quarters mm-hmm. of the budget. Um, So the mayor has the ability to influence a big part of it, um, but there are some pieces that he can't sort of snap his fingers and change tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that includes Medicaid, which is a state program. It includes the debt service. It includes pensions, um, as well as some other things which need to be negotiated with the labor unions. And even in personnel, a mayor is going to need probably somewhere around 250, 300,000 employees, even if he tried to streamline the workforce, which this mayor has not, as you have pointed out at CBC very uh, astutely. uh, He's expanded the workforce dramatically. Right. I mean, the city has grown and the city has takes on a real, just there's a breadth of function and a, a real diversity to the services that the city provides that other cities do not. And that accounts for one reason why the workforce is so large. But yet, as you point out, we've shown that since the mayor has been in office, there are 20,000 more employees, and there are about 10,000 more that will be hired, which is an expansion of 10% of the workforce, right? Um, So it's a lot of people, and that then drives the costs. And there's a real concern when you add people to the, you know, like that, um, that you're now introducing costs that may be locked in for the long term. Right. Right. I mean, one of the biggest spots that he's added people is pre-K teachers, right? So that's a very popular program. Almost, I I don't know, I don't don't know many people, if any, who've criticized that. I've seen a few people who say it shouldn't really be universal. It should really just be for the neediest families. And there's that critique. Mm -hmm. But that's been a big driving force of some of that growth. And that's an important caveat to point out, right? That it's not just sort of... And also because that's largely paid for by the state. 
but that accounts for maybe three or four thousand of these positions. So you're really talking about an expansion of police force, an expansion of civilians at the uniformed agencies, and more headcount all across the board. Well, he's also added all these special advisors, and the DOE has added all these, you know, sort of amorphous people, community engagement people, which maybe they're doing good functions, but they're sort of a lot of questionable new positions that have been added both at City Hall and some of the agencies, right? Right. And people uh, in general are being paid more. So I think, you know, another interesting data point here is about 83000 because that is the average wage for a public employee. And I, I don't, that's not anywhere near the average wage for your typical New Yorker, right? Mm-hmm. So 83000 and when you add in the cost of pensions and health insurance and these other benefits per employee, you're up to $140,000 per, per year. Per person, per person per, per year. So there's 323,000 city employees, and on average, per year right now with benefits, their cost, they cost? $140,000. $140,000, wow. Now, some people might say the city government's providing a lot of middle-income, upper-middle-income wages here, and that's these are good jobs. They are good jobs. Uh-huh. Um And certainly I think it's important for the city to be competitive in the package that it offers. Um, But where the city is really out of line is on the fringe benefits. And there, you know, city workers get a defined benefit pension, which means that basically at the end of their retirement, their payout is guaranteed year over year. That's a benefit that's unheard of in the private sector where we're sort of struggling to get people to sign up to 401ks and set money aside on their own and the, what they get at the end is based on market returns. Right. The city is also providing health insurance to most of its workforce at no charge to them. Well, to be more specific, with them not paying any part of the premium. And that includes into retire. you know, that continues into retirement. So it's not, you know, you could still attract a great workforce by saying, hey, you just have to do what everybody else does and pay 10 to 20% of the premium. I remember that being part of the 2013 mayoral campaign, a very small part, but, you know, one Democratic candidate, at least in particular, was talking about pay $10. But, right. but when you, you know, there's like a psychology involved, I think that research backs up, right? That when you at least pay something into things, you start thinking more about how often you utilize. And Right. That's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So not only would the city see big savings just in terms of reducing its own costs, but yes, when you have skin in the game, the research backs up that then empl- employees or recipients of the benefits are more attuned to what are the cost drivers are in these plans. And is there a, a threshold number of years? I know that you know if you work for the city for a certain number of years, you become vested and right. you, so is that a threshold that should be raised at this point? Yeah, so the threshold is 10 years, both for pension and retiree health benefits. And I think for pensions, the 10 years is pretty common among public, state and local public sector um, positions, but For retiree benefits, the city is really out of line. In other places, not only are retirees sharing the premium, but how much they share, what those shares are, is really determined by length of service. So if you were there for just a few years, you're paying a larger share. 
if you were there for say 25 years and you spent your whole life as a city employee you pay a much smaller share but it's determined both by your you know your length of service um, but also by your earnings in retirement mm -hmm. all right so that's a lot on some of the personnel uh, some of the big buckets of the 85 mm -hmm. billion dollar budget um, there were mostly sort of small measure contentious items that got resolved and in almost every case they decided to add some more money right I mean right. that's what you can do between the executive budget proposal and the adopted budget when city revenues are still strong and it's really just deciding where are we gonna put an extra hundred million or ten million and there were you know a few things that advocacy groups and the count the city council was pushing for you know things like not even you know in the grand scheme of 85 billion 20 plus million to the department for the aging mm -hmm. to help seniors get their case management done you know that was a contentious issue but it's 20 right. million dollars out of 85 billion that was something that they decided to add funding on were there other highlights or are they so small that they don't even really matter well I think to the council members who are advocating on behalf of those issues they're not small and they are important um, and the and people affected I mean that's uh, right there's no we're talking big numbers here but 20 million dollars goes a long way to helping seniors with their case management no that's absolutely right um, and 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 the dollars add up I mean the council adds 300 million dollars back into the budget they add another 300 or up to 500 million into the capital budget for capital projects so there are real dollars involved when you add them all up there's not much argument on some of the smaller proposals um, and the council you know year over year will have what it, it wants and pushes to get into the budget um, two I think notable items that the council supported that did not make the final cut were the proposals for fair fares to provide a subsidy to low-income working adults um, on the Metro card and reduce their fare and also the proposal to reform the commercial rent tax which is a tax on, on rent paid by businesses in Manhattan south of 96th Street and so the proposal there was to exempt to raise the threshold for exemption for those that don't have that much in earnings and revenue um, but that did not pass and so these items were more costly compared to say aiding home health care aids I think the council proposal for both of these was about 50 million but they didn't make it in so let's talk about those two items because those were two significant uh, items of interest for the council and for advocates and Fair fares, the mayor has said it's not our responsibility to subsidize Metro cards because the MTA is state run and therefore it should be up to the MTA or the governor to subsidize for low income folks. My impression of it was simply that he didn't want to bake another pretty, you know, fairly significant cost uh, that would be recurring into right. the city budget. Yeah, it's sort of a, a bit of a weak argument when you consider the city is already the one subsidizing metro cards for students and seniors and others. So the city already provides this, and it is most appropriate for the city to do this. Um, and it's sort of well in line with the mayor's vision of reducing inequality and aiding work for people um, at the lower end of the, the income spectrum. So, um, yeah, the city already does it, and it, it would have been easy if you will to do it to expand further in this direction I think by yeah, the full proposal would be 200 million dollars which is nothing to sneeze at but the council suggested a reasonable pilot which would have 
tested the waters for about 50 million. Um, but I think the mayor's feeling is that he has already made a commitment to a greater investment in the MTA and is sort of drawing a line in the sand here on this one. And of course, we get into tricky city-state dynamics and politics and the mayor's rivalry with the governor. I think we also, you know, the mayor has his sort of equity agenda and he wants to define it, right? And he right. he has a variety of initiatives on that front, including pre-K and, and mm-hmm. other items, but this sort of hasn't been his baby and so I think it right. stayed on the fringes. Um, the commercial rent tax is something that has huge support in the city council. Mm-hmm. It's being driven by Manhattan city council members, especially Dan Grodnick and the Manhattan borough president, Gail Brewer. And the mayor basically said, we just can't forgo that revenue. Right, which, you know, there's a trade-off here between you can forgo by spending less on other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the truth is it, it is an unfair tax, right? So commercial property owners are taxed by the city via the property tax, and they pass some portion of that, maybe a big portion, down to the tenants. The commercial rent tax was uh, created because the city was coming really against its cap on what it could raise via the property tax. We're nowhere near that cap now, right? So the rationale for the tax is less strong, um, and we know how hard it is to do business here as a small business. And so alleviating this for businesses making up, you know, earning up to $500,000 is a step in the right direction to aid New York's competitiveness. Is that commercial rent tax reform something the city council can just pass and, and force the mayor's hand on? I mean, hey, it's the, a, the city council doesn't really do that under right. this mayor and this speaker, but in theory... In theory, and then they would need two-thirds to right. sign on to override. If he vetoed. But That's again, right. at that point, I mean, I think we've seen from this mayor and this council, if they really push something, he'll right. figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, I think it's about, because it only affects those in Manhattan, it would be building the constituency for the del- the rest of the council delegation. Right, right. And that they're almost there. So big picture again on the budget, um, $85.2 billion is big. It was up about $300 million from the executive proposal. But that's just in the last month or so. Right. What about longer term budget growth? This is the de Blasio, Mark Viverito, fourth budget. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we at big picture in terms of budget growth? What's it look like? And what's your take on how responsible it's been? So the budget is up about 17% since Mayor Bloomberg handed things off. And um, if you, that's the total budget, if you look at the city-funded portion, it's up about $10 billion, which is about 4.5% a year, which is well in excess of inflation. Um, if you compare, say, to the first four years of the Bloomberg administration, it's right in line with what happened there. Um, what's driven that growth is, again, a lot in... Um, the compensation of personnel since the mayor had to sit, settle the expired labor contracts when he came in right at the start, um, but also a lot of new needs and new spending because the sense was that there were investments they wanted to make, there were investments in uh, pursuit of this goal of equity and more equitable distribution of city resources, and those have really sort of stacked up over time. Um, and you know, is it fiscally responsible? I think we have felt that the balance in spending between spending and saving 
um, needs to be tilted a little more in favor of spending. So the agencies are adding a lot of new needs. They're not really coming to the table to say, and you know what, we're reviewing our operations as we pitch these new needs to say, here's how we can do more with less, um, or here's how we can restructure and gain savings. So there's a lot more coming, you know, there's a lot more asks, there's less being provided in terms of efficiency savings, the savings program, which the mayor did not include in his first two budgets, um, but has been in, in subsequent budgets, has been good in that it's included a lot of debt savings, the agencies are sort of re-estimating where they can to get some savings, um, but then again, the agencies are spending that money instead of putting more of it in reserves. So it's been tilted towards spending, but there has been savings, and they've really been very fortunate in terms of the economic picture that they walked into and have had for the last four years, although there's some clouds on the horizon or even a little drizzle because growth is slowing. I mean, it's always interesting, you know, that doesn't mean recession. It just means that the pace of job growth and reductions in unemployment is are are starting to slow or show signs of, of trouble. Right. What are they prepared for that? Is the city prepared for a slow a, a small slowdown? Is it is it prepared for a big catastrophe? And of course we have to take into account that the federal government might throw a huge monkey wrench into this picture. Right, that's absolutely right. So, you know, it's hard to predict these things in advance. It's kind of like reading tea leaves. Um, and it's hard to know how severe or what the shape and scope of a recession would be. Um, that being said, the city, as they, they, the council and the mayor did add some more to the reserves in this adopted budget agreement. And so now they have about $1.5 billion in annual reserves in the budget. And they have um, some money in a trust fund for retiree healthcare expenses. I mentioned these are very costly. When you look at the liability, it's over $80 billion. And so this trust fund was established to begin to tackle that. The way we set aside money for pensions and invest that and sort of think long-term to start thinking long-term about these retiree expenses. but the practice has been to tap that money when things get tough. Um, and so there's a feeling among some that, you know, between what's in the trust fund, which is over $4 billion, and the reserves, it's enough. There's a big caveat here, which is there are real restrictions on the trust fund money. So you can only take out as much as the retiree expenses, which is about $1.6 a year, $1.6 billion. $1.5 billion in general reserves, so now we're up to slightly over $3 billion on a budget of $85 billion. We've done recession testing in the past that just averages out the experience in previous recessions and shows that your first year shortfall could be as large as $4 billion. So I think we shouldn't be too comfortable that the money's there and there are not going to be any problems. And good fiscal practice is really when times continue to be strong and the economy thrives, you squirrel away as much as possible. And more could be done to bolster those reserves in anticipation of this, particularly because the impact of any downturn or even some pronounced slowdown um, will be compounded by anything that happens at the federal level budget-wise may not be as dramatic as what's been proposed in President Trump's budget, but I think there are cuts coming down the pike. 
right? I think that's almost a given, but my impression is the same as yours, that we're not, you know, these first sort of extreme proposals are bargaining chips and they're, you know, a way to sort of draw a line in the sand and fire a warning shot, but, you know, there's going to be a more moderate outcome, most likely, we'll see. Um, the, the savings... So, so you're you're sort of saying that they've been moderately um, smart in how they've been saving, but just looking at adding money since the executive budget proposal, you know, all these things that the mayor sort of dragged his feet on, but of course gave in on um, summer youth employment slots and and things like that. They're small dollars, but everything adds up. And then you're looking at a situation where this mayor and this city council that have been all about funding programs and, again, often some very worthwhile things for, for people may be in the position of taking them away. Right. I mean, so there's two there's two sides, right? There's sort of your reserves, but there's also then what you actively do to manage your budget. And that's got two faces, right? That's got tax increases, and it's got, as you said, very nicely taking away things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's programs that then people come to expect or rely on. It could also mean employment. It could mean, you know, looking at the expansion of the workforce and saying, you know, we're not attriting enough people, and now we may have to lay some of these new employees off, which has also got a human cost to it. Yeah, I mean, I think as the mayor approaches re-election, and let's just say as many are, you know, for the sake of this discussion, that he wins um, the second term, as is often the case, especially when you've had very good luck economically in the first term, the second term could be a little bit uh, more draconian and a little tougher on these budget numbers. Yes, and, you know, people people sort of forget that during the second Bloomberg term, it was very prosperous time, a lot of money coming in from Wall Street, big wage increases for public employees, um, and that changed very quickly. And so you had Mayor Bloomberg, who actually hired thousands of teachers and was very sort of intent on being the education mayor um, for, for a long period of time there, coming to the table at some point and proposing the layoff of thousands of teachers because state funding had had collapsed. Um, under him and sort of saying, hey, I'm not sure we can be the ones to replace all this money. So these And with things, homeless subsidies, I mean, we saw... Right. So these mm-hmm. things, you know, work in unpredictable ways and may, may force the mayor's hand in a way that um, we wouldn't necessarily foresee right now. One more point on the savings that I often like to make is that, you know, <laughs> the mayor and his team, as as they would, you know, they like to talk in absolute dollars, right? The savings are the highest they've ever been, the most money. Right. But again, as you pointed out and the controller points out and others, it's very often about the percentage, right? You should be right. talking about what's the percentage you have in savings compared to your expenses. And as you're saying, that's a less rosy picture than just saying we have seven, eight billion dollars um, available. Right. So... Those are some of the broad strokes. Um, as we wrap up here, what's next? Um, the city budget process is, as far as what I've looked at, especially compared to New York State, it's a very good process. It has its iterations. It has its mm-hmm. public hearings. Um, so what's what's coming up now? The, the deal is in place. The city council voted on it. We need to see the documents. The fiscal year starts July 1. Then where do we go? 
right, then in September or maybe early October, we get a sense of how the state, the city will be allocating its capital commitments, which is important to, to get a sense of where they landed there. Um, and then the next modification is in November, where essentially the mayor presents a first quarter update and says, here's how things are faring. What's important about that is how it interacts again with the federal calendar, because the start of the fiscal year for the federal government is October 1st. Now, recent experience, you know, the, the federal government does not adopt a budget the way New York State or New York City do. It's a completely different process, but there may be pieces of that in place by the November mod, which would force changes to what the council and the mayor consider. All right, so we'll be looking forward to that. And uh, as we go here, we'll be bringing on some experts and some city council members and others to talk with us about, about what's happening. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. Uh, I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette and for Bria Doulis of CBC. Uh, thanks for joining us and tune in in the future. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Gotham Gazette and at CBCNY. And thanks for tuning in.